You may be seated in Christ alone. Sometimes I wonder if we really understand that it's in Christ alone. It's not in anything else but Him. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who died. He's the one we're redeemed today. And He's the one and reason why we're here today. Because of Christ. Amen. So before I preach, I want to read something to you. There's this email I get every Saturday night from my former professor. Um, He sends it to all his former students and his current students. And it's to encourage them. He sends it on Saturday. It's to encourage them because he knows many of them will be preaching on Sunday. And it's quotes from men that have died already. Many... uh, Ministers that have died, many men of God that have died, and some modern ones. And this particular one he quoted was from John MacArthur. In all the years, he's only quoted John MacArthur twice, but he's quoted many, many people like Spurgeon, Augustine, Erasmus, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Alistair Begg. But this particular one was John MacArthur. And I want to read it to you because this particular email wasn't for so much the preacher as it is for the hearer. So I want you to pay attention. This is, I think, crucial when we are under the preaching of God's word. He says this. I want to remind you that preaching is not a spectator sport. It is not a matter of sitting and watching. It's not a form of spiritual entertainment. Preaching is really a form of engagement. It's a conversation. And I've always believed that you get from it what you bring to it. And one of the things that expository preaching does is engage you beyond the preacher with the scripture. That's the intention, that you bring your Bible, or today's day and age it's your, your app or with your, your phone or whatever you're reading the Bible from. And even if you sit back in the corners far away from me where I can't really command your attention, the Word of God can't command your attention because it's right there before your eyes and your hands. And that's very, very important because you're engaging when you come here, not with me, I'm merely a tool, I'm merely a light, a reflected light, to point you towards the true light, which is the Word of God. So that's... It's not only the preacher's responsibility, but it's your responsibility. And I always said one of the dangers of coming to church week after week after week after week and walking out indifferent when you hear the word of God preached, that is one of the most dangerous places to be. We need to take the word of God serious and apply it to our lives. Otherwise, it's just a religious service we're having. Right? Amen? Okay, anyway, if you have your Bibles, or your phones, or your overheads, TV screens, turn with me to John 15. We're going to look at verses 17 to through chapter 16 and the fourth verse there. Let me ask you a question before we read our text. Did you know that the world 
hates Christianity. This is nothing new. Ever since the birth of the church, the world has been made, or the world has been hostile towards the true church of God. Do you know that? Actually, ever since the fall, the world hated the people of God. We see that in the very beginning, Cain and Abel. But this hatred, if you haven't noticed, is escalating. And this shouldn't discourage us, but encourage us simply because Jesus Christ said this would happen. And he has overcome the world. And let the hatred of the world towards you and me, towards his church, motivate us to love each other deeper and share the gospel to a lost and pitiful church. Or a lost and pitiful world, I should say. Turn with me to John 15. We're going to start at verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless our time together in your word. Let us glorify your Son by hearing and obeying what you have said. And now give us the privilege of your Holy Spirit in planting your eternal word in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me one minute. About a week ago, Kim and I were having dinner with Brian and Terry, Pastor Brian and Terry. And in our conversation, Kim and Terry started talking about a particular vendor, which I will not name. And Terry turned her head around like on the movie The Exorcist and foaming at the mouth, she said, I hate them. Now, of course, that's not exactly what happened, but she did express a strong dislike for this particular vendor by stating she hated them. Now, we can all identify with Terry because there are things, hopefully not people, that we hate. 
And hate is a very strong word. And, when you, and really, there are very few things that we should hate, right? And this is what we should hate. This is God. What God said we should hate. We should hate sin. Sin. You hate sin. I remember this contemporary group, Mylon Lefebvre and Broken Heart, they used to sing the song, Love God, Hate Sin. And the whole audience would sing, Love God, Hate Sin. We love God, we hate sin. We hate the devil. And we hate anything that opposes Christ and his church. The world, on the other hand, loves sin, and mostly by implication, they love the devil, even though they will never admit it. Unless they're Satan worshippers, they would never admit they love the devil. But when you sin intentionally, guess what? He's your father. When you're not regenerated, he's your father. It hates what it wants to hate. And it hates God. It hates Christ and His church believers. Why are so many Christians shocked that the world violently hates them and their Lord? And here's what I want to challenge you with tonight. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Because it hates your Lord, Jesus Christ. There's four points I want to bring out. First one is the world hates you because it hates Jesus. Second point is the world makes no distinction between Jesus and you, his messenger. Third point, the world would be confronted with the gospel from the Holy Spirit. And the fourth point, the world desires to hate you. This is part one. I can only do it in parts because there's too much content. This is part one. Uh, We will look at point one and point two. And then the next time I speak, we'll look at point three and point four. Point one, the world hates you because it hates Jesus. Verse 17 and 19 again. Jesus said, these things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, Jesus reiterates the love commandment from verse 12 and in chapter 13 and verse 34. Loving one another is one of the true marks of true Christian discipleship. Now, I should have probably concluded the last time I spoke with this verse... Because it appears to be part of the previous text. It seems to flow more naturally. However, this verse can also be transitional. Verse 17 ends with a command to love each other. And now Jesus makes a sharp turn. And focuses his disciples' attention on the world's hatred for him. And all who would follow him. Have you ever noticed that John the Apostle is big on contrasts? Love and hate. He says light and darkness, life and death, from above and from below, all of which convey important information about the person and work of Jesus Christ and the need to believe in him. And now he transitions, verse 17 into 18, from love to hate. Let's talk about hate. We talked about how Terry hates his particular vendor. But what does the biblical meaning of hate, what does it mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word that means to dislike strongly, with the implication of hostility, to detest. Expressions for hatred 
frequently involve everyday phrases, for example, to kill in the heart or to spit at someone in the heart. Now, I'm a, I'm a Italian. I come from... And Italians have a... They do that. Ooh, when, they, when they think of somebody. <laughs> we just saw that on Everybody Loves Raymond. You know, Marie was spitting at uh, Robert's ex-wife, too, every time she mentioned the name. You know, Italians do that. We, 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 we can do that, right? Well, to kill in the heart. Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've killed them. Expressions for hatred involve these everyday phrases. The world hates God with that intense hatred. And hatred of God's people is actually hatred of God himself. On the other hand, the righteous hate what God hates. We see that in Psalm 97 and Amos chapter 5. Now this is not an emotional hatred of the righteous, but a disowning of evil and of those who commit it. As the wicked love evil and hate good, so the righteous love good and hate evil. Hating God means ignoring His commands and persecuting His people. Those who hate God show their hatred by repaying evil for good. But in the long run, their opposition to God is doomed to failure. Psalm 34, verse 21 David said, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Back in our text, Jesus was warning his disciples that they should not be surprised that when he departs, the world's hatred of him would now turn to them. He was kind of telling them, be prepared guys, you see the way they hate me. You see the way the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the way they hate me. Well, that intense hatred is going to turn on you. He's been talking to them about encouraging things like, don't let your hearts be troubled because he's going to prepare a place for us. Abiding in him and bearing luscious fruit. And the love of believers, they are to have for one another. All encouraging stuff. And now Jesus hits them hard. He said, you're going to be hated because of me. Now the world just didn't decide to hate you. It hates you. There's a reason why it hates you and hates me and hurts and hates the church of Jesus Christ. Because it hates Christ. And because if you're a Christian, you're not part of the world system. Amen. You are not of this world. Now when we say world, biblically speaking, in this context, it could mean the material world. But in this particular context, it means people that are associated with a world system. And they are estranged from God. They are the people of the world. The Greek word for world is cosmos. And it's common in John's writings. um, And refers to the created moral order. An active rebellion against God. It's an evil fallen world system. Comprised of unregenerate people. And controlled by Satan. So when John uses the word world. Cosmos. That's what he's talking about. Anyone who is not a genuine born again believer. Is part of the world. And this unregenerate world. Will hate you. And you and I. As Christians. Are not part of it. Because Christ chose us out of the world. 
You were chosen out of this world. And here we go again. God's sovereignty and salvation. He, by His divine purpose, chose us out of the world. Now this should keep every single Christian humble as we go into a hostile world to preach the gospel, knowing that we once belonged to it. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Paul's describing people of the world. He says, Oh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of the world? This is a kingdom of God. This is the world. Do, you not, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the world. And he goes on to say to the Corinthian church, and he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we were once part of that unregenerate world. So we need to preach the gospel to a hostile world with all humility because we were once part of that world. But God in His infinite mercy caused you and me to be born again and called us out of the world into his, to be his own special people. As Peter said in his first epistle, that he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. How glorious is that? But the world will hate the disciples of Christ. Make no mistake about it. If the world loved the disciples of Christ, they are not true disciples of Christ. When I first became a Christian... It was in 1977-78 period. That's almost 40 years ago. And I remember going to my family and sharing the gospel. My mother and father did not like it. I mean, they did not like it. Especially my dad. He did not like it. And they gave me a hard time. They didn't understand. They rejected me. They rejected my faith. Then I had my Uncle Pete. Uncle Pete I loved. Uncle Pete owned the shoe store. We lived on top of it. And I remember one time he had a clown in the front. He was giving out balloons and lollipops. And I was a kid. And it was, uh, Uncle Pete was always fun. And, I, and his cousins, um, my, his sons were my cousins. And we always hung out together. We had a great time. And then when I became a Christian, now I'm in my 20s. And I became a Christian. And we were at a, a wake. And I was telling Uncle Pete about Jesus. And he was not happy. And you know what he said to me? And I was a brand new Christian then. And he said to me, meaning because he's come from a Catholic faith, he said, we're more than you. And I don't know, God must have gave me a word of knowledge right on the spot. I said, I said to him, many are called, but few are chosen. <laughs> and then there was Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie was a retired policeman of, of, this, of Suffolk County, I think it was, or Nassau County. And he, I didn't like him. He was mean. He was always mean to me. I mean, I didn't like. I didn't hate him or anything. He just was always. He scared me. He scared me. He was always mean to me. And like one time, he started screaming at me for no. I was a kid, and he started screaming at me. But then I get saved. Now I'm older, and my family went to go visit him. And his and his. But his wife was a doll. My aunt, my aunt Lucy, was wonderful. But we went over there, and 
my uncle Charlie and my father and myself were sitting down and he found out I was a Christian. He told my father, you know, I went to one of those born again Christian weddings. And you know what I did? I, they didn't have liquor. And I took a bottle of booze and I put it under the table. I drank. He rejected my faith. And then there was Uncle Joe. At my mother and father's 50th anniversary. They asked me to stand up and say grace. And I did. And I'm a Christian. And I said, Heavenly Father. And he stopped. And in front of all these people. You know, we had a lot of people. He stopped. And he, he stood up and he went, In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He rejected my faith. And there's another story, but I'm not going to go into that. See, the world rejected me and said nasty things to me and still does. And even though I still live here, in this world, I'm no longer part of it. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, as the prophet Isaiah said. And Christians, Christians were in the world physically, but we're not of this world spiritually. If the world loves you and is never hostile towards you, you may be one. Compromising your walk, you're blending in with the world. They don't know you're a Christian. Or two, you're not presenting the real Jesus. This is what Dr. Sproul says about that. He says, unbelievers can tolerate Christ only as long as he is stripped of, their, of his real identity. But if Jesus' followers proclaim the real Jesus Christ and demonstrate their allegiance to him, they are despised by the world. And he follows that with a quote from Luke, chapter 6, the first half of it, verse 26. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. I don't like when people constantly speak well of me. I feel like there's something wrong. I'm not saying I want people to hate me, but it's okay once in a while if you persecute me. Or three... If, they, if you're not hated by the world, you're not a Christian. The world hates Christians. Now you and I are not going to go into the world and be obnoxious so people know we are Christians. Don't be obnoxious. You know, when I was a new Christian, I was kind of obnoxious. And I didn't know how to handle my faith. And I went in and slam dunked everybody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've learned to be a little more gracious now. A little more uh, uh, preaching the gospel with seasoning with salt we don't look for persecution but if we never experience it we need to check to see if we are really committed to Christ as we think we are also we don't physically separate ourselves from the world like the Amish or is it Amish Amish, Amish. I'm always corrected at that I always say Amish and my wife always says Amish <laughs> we don't we do the opposite we go into the world and bear spiritual fruit. We bear converts. So don't be surprised that the world hates you because it hates your Lord, Jesus Christ. That was point one. The world hates you because it hates Jesus. Point two. The world makes no distinction between Jesus and you, the messenger. Verses 20 to 25 again. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all of these they will do to you on my account, or on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that I, but that, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The first time Jesus said, "A servant is not greater than his master," was in chapter thirteen, where he was referring to the humble servant of a service of a slave. Jesus, if you remember, washed their feet and said they should humbly serve one another as he had done. And if he was their Lord and Master, they were to do the same, since a servant was not greater than their Master. In this particular text, Jesus' point was they should not expect to be treated kinder than Jesus was treated. Jesus tells them, listen guys, if they persecuted me, They're going to persecute you. They will persecute you. When Jesus left the disciples, the hostile world now now turned their hostility from Jesus, because he wasn't there anymore, to the church. Listen to this astounding passage of scripture in Colossians. I don't know if any of you, I'm sure many of you read this passage, but you may not have really understood it. Listen to what Paul tells the Colossian church. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, Paul is not saying Christ's suffering was not adequate to save us. He couldn't be saying that. Nor does he mean that there's a certain amount of suffering believers must pay. This would contradict the book of Colossians, this would contradict the rest of the Bible, which clearly says Christ's sufferings were sufficient for our complete redemption. And nor is he saying, as the Catholics use this verse, is he saying it's some kind of purgatory. No. The persecution Paul was suffering was intended for Christ. Jesus, as one commentator said, is out of their reach, is out of their reach now. Because he ascended into heaven. The hostile world still wants to inflict injury on Christ. But they can't. So they inflict his church. You and me. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Did you know it's a blessing to be persecuted for his namesake? Did you know that? Did you know we can rejoice and be glad when persecuted? Let's turn to Matthew 5. Verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Many times the extent of our persecution is the extent of one's identification with Christ. If you're committed to Christ, the more you're committed to Christ, the more you're going to be persecuted. The less you're committed to Christ, the less you're going to be persecuted. Just make sure, once again, the persecution you're receiving is not because you're being obnoxious. Just to bring some balance here, even when we are living a godly life, 
We don't always receive persecution. We are not always under the sword, as Dr. Kent Hughes says. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But, however, we never completely escape persecution from a hostile world. But not all is bleak. Some will hear the gospel and some will respond. Some will keep his word, you preach to them. The last part of verse 20, he says, If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So even though the majority reject Christ and his word, God has a remnant that he reserved for himself called the church. He chose them out of this world and separated them unto holiness. Just like in Elijah's day, when he complained to God, if you remember, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, he said, I have been very, I could hear, I could hear him whining. I have been very zealous, jealous for you, Lord, for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God says, Calm down, Elijah. Calm down. Verse 18, he says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. In other words, Elijah, you're not the only one. I have 7,000. I have a remnant. And God has always had a remnant. And the church is a remnant. He has a remnant that will keep his word. Matthew 7, verse 14. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are a few. There's always that remnant that will keep God's word. Now it hurts, I know. It hurts to see people rejecting Christ. We should feel hurt. But great joy in seeing some come into his kingdom. When we experience hatred and persecution from the world, we may have a tendency to ask, why? Why? Why do they despise and hate us so much? Why do they want to hurt us? And the answer is simple. Very simple. They don't know God. And they don't know Jesus, His Son. Leon Morris, the great Australian theologian, said, the root cause of persecution is now traced to the world's ignorance of God. Andrew Kostenberger said, there is a three-step logic. He said, when people oppose the disciples, it is because they oppose Jesus. If people oppose Jesus, it is because they don't know the Father. Therefore, if people oppose the disciples, it is ultimately because they don't know God. And I think it's so ironic that we can ask anything in Jesus' name according to his will, and it will be given to us, right? Didn't Jesus say that? And yet at the same time, we will be hated and persecuted because of his name. Now, many claim to know God. We have a world, that a lot of religions that claim to know God, but reject Jesus. And some even claim to know Jesus, but as R.C. Sproul said, reject his true identity. You see, if you reject Jesus, 
you don't know God. If you reject the person and work of Christ and all that entails, you reject God and can't possibly know Him. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, the second half of verse 23, Jesus said, and this is His words, not mine, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So there are many people today, Islam claims to honor Jesus. But they don't honor Jesus as God. Jehovah Witnesses claim to honor Jesus. But they don't honor Him as God. The Mormons claim to honor God. But they don't honor the Son. You can't honor the Father without honoring His Son. So when you speak to someone about Jesus. And they reject the message you bring to them. And begin to treat you shamefully. Remember, they don't know the Father or the Son. And they are persecuting Christ, not you. When Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute and put to death Christians, he fell to the ground and a light shone around him in Acts. And a voice of Jesus came from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, not why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? So when people persecute you, they're not persecuting you, they're persecuting Christ. Paul thought he knew God. And at that point, he found out he didn't because he didn't know the son whom he was persecuting through the church. Back in our text, Jesus said the world, because they reject him, is guilty of sin. The Jews, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders... They are guilty of sin. Why? Because they saw and heard Jesus. This doesn't mean they would have been sinless if Jesus never came to earth. But now they had the full revelation of God right before their eyes and rejected Him. They were now guilty of a more serious sin. They heard Him, saw firsthand His miracles. They even witnessed Him raising the dead and still nailed Him to the cross. They were guilty of the most serious of all sins. Rejection of the Savior. There's no more sin serious than that. You could commit adultery. And that's serious. And that'll keep you out of heaven if it's unrepented. That means you don't know the Savior. You could commit uh, fornication, uh, steal, murder, whatever. It's no more It's not as serious as rejecting the Savior. Because once you reject the Savior, there's no possible salvation for you. When we preach the gospel clearly, and someone rejects it, they are guilty of the most serious sin. They would be just as guilty as the Jewish leaders, I'm talking about today, who had the physical Jesus, or even more, guess why? Because we have the completed word of God. They didn't even have the completed word of God. Yes, they had the physical Jesus, the full revelation before them. We have no, what what kind of excuse do we have today? We have the full revelation of God. Dr. Carson says, rejection of Jesus' words and works is thus the rejection of the clearest light, the fullest revelation, and therefore it incurs the most central deep-stained guilt. They hated both the Father and the Son. The Father sent the Son. So it stands to reason that if you hate who God Himself sent, you hate who? God. 
When Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit came and filled the church. And they continued the work of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with preaching signs and wonders and healings. However, they were rejected by the religious leaders. They rejected Jesus because they rejected God. You see, when Jesus left, the persecution didn't stop. It just turned on the church. And it's still going on today, on you and me. By the way, the opposite is true for those who receive you. John chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever receives the one I send, receives who? Me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. There are times when you will give the gospel to someone and they will reject it. They are rejecting Christ and the Father. There are times when you give the gospel to someone and they receive it. They are receiving Christ and the Father. I want to read an article from Voice of the Martyr magazine. They understand, this is in the Sudan, in the Nubu Mountains. They understand persecution and hatred much more than I can understand. And this is what he says. He says, imagine sitting in your church listening to the pastor's sermon and suddenly, suddenly feeling a rush of adrenaline as you... And those around you begin to recognize familiar wine of a plane approaching. In an instant, everyone runs for cover, leaping into foxholes or seeking shelter behind rocks. Four of the most dangerous places to be in the Nuba Mountains are church buildings, schools, hospitals, and fields of crops. Sudanese government bombers target the shiny roofs of buildings and anything resembling a field of crops that might be used to help sustain those living nearby. They want them out of the region or dead. Although their church buildings have been bombed and they face continual threat of attack, believers in Nubu Mountains continue to gather faithfully for worship. In their ongoing difficulties, they have no one and nothing to depend on but God. They pray day and night, knowing their lives might be taken at any moment. And Christians in the region have countless opportunities to share Christ with the Muslims who flee the bombings with them. Pastor Matter who works in the Nuba Mountains, said, because of persecution, because of hatred, because of a lot of things against us, it made more Muslims open to hear and listen to the gospel. So Christians continue to worship in the Nuba Mountains, encouraging one another and pointing Muslim neighbors to Christ. And for these persecuted Christians in the Sudan, those that reject them and harm them and kill them, reject Christ and God. But their suffering, make no mistake about their suffering, from the hatred has opened doors for them to reach many Muslims who receive them and their message. In doing so, they receive Christ and God. Amazing. Finally, Jesus said in verse 25, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now Jesus is quoting David in probably Psalm 69. Or maybe Psalm 35. And had enemies who hated him without a reason. And if David, a mere man, was hated, how much more the sinless son of man who came from his line was going to be hated. But why would anyone... Do you ever think about this? Why would anyone hate Jesus who came to set men free? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus convicts men of their sins 
And men don't want their sins to be exposed. People want to live the way they want to live. And have no one tell them how to live. But Jesus is not so much telling them to live as he is telling them to come to him. And to be forgiven. And he will live his life through them. He's not giving them a bunch of rules and regulations. Do this, do this, and do this. He's saying, come to me. Let me forgive you and let me live my life through you. He's saying, Enoch walked with God, but I'm going to walk in and through you. Let's conclude here. Even though the world hates you because it hates Jesus, even though the world really makes no distinction between Christ and his messengers, let's go out into a hostile world and give them hope with the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. If they reject you, they ultimately reject God. If they receive you, they ultimately receive God. And if you have the nerve to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, people that hate us will be healed from hate. Next time I preach, we're going to talk about the world hates you because it hates Jesus. No. The other two points, which are the world will be confronted with the gospel from the Holy Spirit and the world desires to hurt you. So let's pray. Father, help us and strengthen us never to shrink back from preaching and sharing your gospel in the midst of of a persecuting, hostile, rejecting world. And help us to rejoice with those who receive us and the message of of your hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.